If you've been here the last few weeks, really since the beginning of the year, you know that we are in the middle of a series called How to Read the Bible. And so we're gonna jump right into things today. There's a QR code on the screen. If you wanna download the notes, maybe that will help you as we move forward. But what we've said from the beginning of this series is um, here's what we wanna accomplish. Each one of us, when we go into reading the Bible, we have our own paradigms or, or our own framework for how we, we read it. And that's based off of our experiences. Uh, that's based off of how we were taught growing up, our traditions, whatever it might be, that has formed a certain perspective on how we approach Scripture. And so what we said is what we really desire to do is, is maybe get away from that and get into what is the actual intended biblical paradigm. Sometimes our traditional paradigms can, can be unhelpful in how we understand and ultimately how we live by the things that we read. So we wanna build out a paradigm for actually how the biblical writers are writing and how we are to, to read and understand that. And so each week we've kind of built out these principles for how we are to do that. Uh, how, how exactly are we to build out that framework? And so if you've missed any of the messages, I would encourage you to go to our YouTube channel it's got all of our messages, all the topics, uh, and so please make sure you check that out to, to get up to speed. But we're going to jump into our topic today. It's a pretty big one, and so we want to make sure we have plenty of time for it. So what we're talking about today is that the Bible is contextual literature. Uh, it's contextual. And I mentioned this is a big topic, so actually what we're going to do is break it out into two discussions. So we're going to be talking about kind of one piece of it today. Next week, we'll talk about it from a different angle. Um, but, but this is something that I, I feel like we do a pretty decent job of calling out yeah. in our series and, and in our messages. We often talk about how important context is. Yeah, we do. This is a regular thing that we, we regularly say is how important context is. But sometimes we just say that. Uh, today, we're going to break that down a little bit more that hopefully it will help us really begin to unpack and understand what are we talking about when we say yeah. Make sure you're considering context. Yeah, we do say it a lot as it relates to reading scripture, but the truth is, is context is key for any sort of communication, right? I mean, the setting, whoever you're talking to or, or listening to, uh, whatever the purpose is of the conversation, all of that is important for understanding, for effective communication. And, uh, and so we just have to realize that when we go into reading the Bible, we're reading an ancient text from an ancient people. And so we have to understand all of the little intricacies if we're going to actually understand what they're saying. Yeah. So today we're going to unpack a lot of what that is, that ancient piece, as well as that cultural context piece uh, here yeah. today. So uh, cross, this is a cross-cultural literature so we are crossing cultures here. So, I mean, we talk about this in, in life, in different aspects of life. So, I mean, if we're going to uh, a different place, you know, we've got to consider context, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've mentioned the Bible Project a couple of times. This is their statement on, on this idea, and I think it's helpful. Um, they say the Bible was written in another time, another culture, and another language. And so we must honor that if we desire to be shaped by it, okay? So we have to take all of these things into account if we're gonna actually uh, understand and, and be led to wisdom. So yes, this is a, a cross-cultural experience. So when we open the Bible, 
uh, we almost have to envision like, like we've traveled to a different time and a different place. And that's something that we should be generally familiar with. Uh, like if, if we were to take a trip all together and we were to go to Japan, right? Just somewhere very far away, somewhere where there's a totally different culture. If we went into that experience and we just forced our cultural norms and assumptions and expectations onto that experience, it wouldn't be a very good experience, right? Uh, we would be very confused. It would not be very enjoyable. We also wouldn't learn or, or grow in any way through that process, right? It just, it wouldn't be a fun time. But what we would probably do instead is, is we would maybe walk around and we would kind of watch how people interact, maybe see how they introduce themselves to one another, uh, what their body language looks like, right? And, and we would just kind of take cues from the people who are actually familiar with that culture, and then we can begin to jump in. We can begin to, to be a part of that culture, and that's exactly what's happening with the Bible. When we open the pages of the Bible, we are traveling into a different time, into a different place, and so our job is to take cues from the people within that culture to lead to understanding. Yeah, we're talking about language a lot today. Um, so you mentioned going to Japan. If we just take a flight, drop in Japan, and start talking English, we're not, it's not going to be very effective. Like we're, Everyone's going to be confused. It's going to be chaos. Um, so yeah, I just think about dropping into that. And when you're talking about sitting back and observing for a minute, I feel like I do that if I'm just in a different, with a different group of people yeah. or a different place, yeah. you know, even here, um, I, I tend to do that to kind of, okay, what's the landscape like? Let mm -hmm. me figure this thing out before I'm just going to go barging in. Yeah. Um, so I think we do this, you know, very instinctually many times. In our day-to-day -day lives. But mm -hmm. interestingly, most of us don't do that with the Bible. Right. We just kind of charge our way in and we force our cultural expectations yeah. onto what we're reading from this ancient text. Yeah, I mean, we even see this, you know, uh, going into different homes, right? If you, depending on, you know, whose house you're going to, there's kind of these different uh, cultural, you know, rules of sorts that mm -hmm. are unwritten rules kind of that are in place. You mentioned Japan. So like, if you walk in, you're gonna take them shoes off. Otherwise, it's gonna get real like offensive Awkward, uh, if yeah. we don't do that. When we sit at the dinner table, it's gonna be be different. Yeah. Um, but even here, once again, like uh, there's there's certain, you know, homes that I go to where I know, yeah, I need to take the shoes off. That's like the norm here. Mm -hmm. um, other home, uh, you know, I go to someone else's house. That's not the norm. Or, yeah. uh, you know, how you how we host our homes yeah. is different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, we kind of grew up where it was like, you know, if you come on over, hey, this is home. Yeah. Like you help yourself. Like literally, this is your home. So if you if you need to go grab something out of the pantry, like I'm not going to be judging you when you go into the pantry and getting food. Like you're at home, so welcome. You know, take take you know yeah. whatever liberties you want. Yeah. Uh, now, for others, maybe they were raised in a home that was very like um, serving wise. Like you walk in the door. You just take a seat and I'm taking care of everything for you rather than, you know, you feel free to go help yourself with whatever. And so depending on what that is, if someone comes into my home and I'm like, hey, help yourself with whatever, but they're used to being, you know, when they host, they serve others, they could be thinking, dude, like, yeah. you're being lazy. Like, yeah. get off the couch and can you help me out? God, give yeah. me a drink of water. This is awkward for me. Yeah. Uh, so like that, we do this stuff in normal day life. Yeah. We want to bring this 
to you know the yeah. Bible as well. Well, I, I like that example because like with the way that we grew up, you know, my house is your house. And so especially if somebody came over like several times and maybe by the third or fourth time, they're still not helping themselves, that does get a little offensive. Like I'm not doing a good enough job of making you feel comfortable enough to, to get what you need. And so it is a little bit offensive, right? And, and I, I like that idea because this is so often what happens when we read the Bible. We don't understand their cultural norms, their cultural expectations. And so a lot of us today will read the things in the Bible and we get offended by them, right? It's like, what, is the, what are they doing? But it's simply because it's a cross-cultural experience. And again, that's a very normal thing. Um, people are doing things in Japan that if we were to go and watch and see, we would be offended by it yeah. and vice versa. And, and there were things happening 20 years ago. Yeah. That, that if they happen today would be offensive. This is, this is very clear stuff and it happens in our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, you kind of touched on the ancient piece. Japan's getting a lot of love today. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned the ancient piece because we haven't really touched on that as much. Uh, but in preparing for this, it, it really hit me. Like, <clears throat> we, we throw that out there. But even when we talk about language, that changes so drastically mm -hmm. in time. Um, like, English was a lot different. Go read the King James Version, right? Like, thou, thy, what? Like, what are we talking about? It, it, it was a lot different. You know, mm -hmm. English has changed over time. Um, I mean, now I don't even know what my kids are talking about because of this, yeah. you know, the different slang and lingo that's used now. I'm like, all right, explain it to me. Like, what are we talking yeah. about? It changes over time. Evidently, there's a, a Gen Z Bible now. Um, that is hilarious. Go, go, like, check it out. Watch a video on it. It's kind of hilarious. Um, <clears throat> but, like, it changes over yeah. time where we, we don't, it's just kind of accepted mm -hmm. and normal for us. But um, when, when we, <clears throat> we don't apply that to the Bible. So we're, we're talking about different languages that are, you know, so that in itself is kind of hard because mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to learn a different language. Um, and then we're talking about, you know, an ancient language where, you know, it's like uh, we, we see this in our, our life everywhere yeah. with language. You go down to Texas and there's different lingo in Texas versus New York. And then, you know, it's, it's all over the place. There's a lot of changes and nuances. Bottom to line, very complex, yeah. right? A lot of complexity here. So let's, let's talk about language, okay? When we talk about context, we'll get into more of like the cultural stuff next week, but let's hone in on language and in particular words um, because that's what the Bible is full of is a bunch of words. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand what that means. So like we're talking about um, communication is a very complex thing. Uh, we have different languages, we have different styles of communication, we have different tones that are used within communication. And so I, I think there are some common ways that we typically learn and, and understand. So maybe what are some of like the most intuitive ways that we learn words and how they are used within our culture? I mean, one of the common things is just listening to others or um, like observing, like we were talking about earlier, you might sit back and you might listen, you know, to try to pick up. Um, the dictionary, Google, you know, like we're just looking up Webster Dictionary. What does this word mean? Like those are the common things that come to mind for me. Yeah, has anybody ever been watching a TV show or maybe be listening to a teacher or something and then have to Google a word? Like what in the world does this word mean? I think that's pretty intuitive for us to try to understand language. But you mentioned listening in context. Yeah. I think this is like the most intuitive way that we learn yeah. about words. 
uh, we just listen to how they're used. And we grow up listening to our parents and to our right. teachers and to our friends. And that's kind of what builds our vocabulary. And uh, I was thinking about this with my daughter. When she was about three years old, um, we were working with her on patience, as you do with any child, right? And so I remember there was a, you know, a period of months where oftentimes she was being impatient. So I'd pull her aside and be like, listen, baby, I need you to just be more patient in this situation, okay? Mommy and daddy can't always be here lickety-split for you. Your, your friends aren't always gonna be there at attention for you. Just, you, have to, you have to be patient. And I would tell her this over and over again. Well, like months went by and, and suddenly I realized I've never told her what patience means. Yeah. I've never explained what that means. Patience. She, I mean, yeah, patience. You gotta, I'm yeah, talking she, patience. Yeah, she kind of just nods along. And uh, so next time I, it came up, I, I told her, baby, you need to be a little more patient. I said, hey, what does patient mean? And almost immediately she said, to wait. And I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. But that was so interesting to me because yeah. I'd never defined that for her. I never told her what that word meant, but she yeah. was picking up on the context that I was using it in, how I was telling her about it. And, and then she kind of built this own definition. That's very yeah. much how we learn. She didn't Google patience yeah. and look up the definition. Yeah. She was just able to piece it together yeah. based on everything else that you were saying. Yeah. She didn't know the definition of the word, yeah. but she put it all together because of the context. Yeah. Uh, so we're... When we talk about context, this, we're trying to stress how important this is yeah. uh, because it's, it's giving us what, what these even words mean. Um, when Roman was like three, he was obsessed with Chick-fil-A. I mean, who isn't, honestly? But, um, you know, anytime it was like we offered eating out, it was like we knew Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. Roman um, didn't call it Chick-fil-A, though. Um, you remember, he's three, right? And he, like, even how he says his words are adorable. But, um, but he would say, we'd say, hey, where do we want to go to eat? And if we asked Roman, he'd say, Old McDonald. And, now, and so, like, it took a second, like, oh, you want to go to McDonald's? Right. No, 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 no. Or, or we would go to McDonald's and he would see it wasn't Chick-fil-A yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then he'd lose his mind. We're like, all right. So what? And so we figured out that he meant, he meant Chick-fil-A, but yeah. he was saying old McDonald yeah. uh, because of the kid's song, Old McDonald Had a Farm. So he heard McDonald's at one point in time associated with food. Then he takes it to the song "Old McDonald." Talks about chicken. And now, yeah, and, that, and now, and now we're at it's Chick Fil A. Now, we came to understand what he was saying. Yeah. As mom and dad, we we figured that out. Now, if he would have went to you and said, "Old McDonald," yeah, you're gonna go to McDonald's, I'm take him right? McDonald's, or, sure. or I don't know, sing yeah, a song or a farm to him. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about here is we have to learn, we have to understand, you know, that context of what they're going yeah. through. So this brings up a, a really uh, important piece of this. Is, this is a way that I've been taught about communication, effective communication, and that is everybody has an encyclopedia of production, mm -hmm. and then we also have to build up an encyclopedia of reception. So an encyclopedia of production is how each one of us understand words and use them. We, that's how we produce words. We have our own vocabulary. But then in communication, we have to build up an encyclopedia of reception for how you understand words. Right. 
and, and what they mean to you. And that's how effective communication happens. So with Roman, you had to build up an encyclopedia of reception yes. for a Roman. Yeah. So it's interesting because each one of us almost is our, our own little culture unto ourselves. And we have to learn about one another. We have to understand words and, and how we use words. And, and that's where communication happens. So again, a lot of complexity to this. This yeah. is how we talk to one Absolutely. another. Absolutely. Like I said earlier, my teenage, almost teenage daughter, um, she's using words that I'm like, I, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Like, yeah. bet. And, you know, like all these words. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, I remember when bad was switched to like good bad, yeah. you know, and that was like, I remember that. But that's, we have to, we all had to build that encyclopedia of reception yeah. on what bad actually meant um, mm -hmm. because we always took it as the other way. Yeah. Otherwise, there's a lot of confusion. Yeah. A lot of misunderstanding. Man, so, that was bad. Oh, yeah. that's a, that hurts, man. Like, <laughs> you like leaned in on that. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the, the Bible. Let's bring this into the scope of the Bible. So um, what we have to understand is the Bible is written in ancient Hebrew and in ancient Greek, and actually a little bit of ancient Aramaic as well, but a very small amount. Mainly it's Hebrew and Greek. So here's what we're saying. Our job as good readers of scripture is to build up a good encyclopedia of reception for how they communicate. Mm -hmm. Not how we communicate or how we would communicate, how they communicate. So we can't assume a definition of a word in terms of how we understand it in our culture. We can't assume our own understanding. We have to do some work to actually build this up and, and, and be able to effectively communicate with these writers. Yeah, so we've talked about dictionary and we've talked about encyclopedia now. So uh, we can't just run to our Webster dictionary yeah. and look up these words in, our ang our, in, in English, in our language, and just take that and, and plug it in yeah. to their encyclopedia of what they've written. Yeah. Um, but I think that is a, a practice a that we thing. can take. Um, and we're going to get into some more practical stuff later. But uh, that's kind of what we're talking about here is we've got to form, we've got to figure out the encyclopedia of how this is all piecing together and not picking and plucking and applying yeah. those things. Yeah, because here's the thing. The biblical writers don't give us definitions of the words that they're using. Mm -hmm. They are using these words in, in the context that they understand it in their cultural way. And so our job is to, to kind of dig in and understand the context and the timing of that. And, and that, that kind of builds out how we understand it. The other thing is there wasn't a point where the biblical writers like got in the same room together. Even our New Testament writers got in the same room and agreed on what each word means. Mm -hmm. So another thing that happens is different writers use different words differently. Mm -hmm. And so then our responsibility is to, okay, how does Paul understand this concept? And how does Peter understand this concept? Like there's, there's a lot of work to be done to, to build up understanding. Yeah, and if, if uh, you're newer around here, we did a series, what, a couple years back now on words matter? A year ago. A year yeah. ago. Um, and... You did a really good job of walking us through that. Um, I strongly recommend going back and listening to that if, if you didn't hear it. Um, but you kind of, you opened, I think, many eyes, our eyes to how these words that we use so often and frequently, especially in, in our, you know, church world, um, that we need to really make sure we come to understand what it was really meant to, to yeah. say. Um, because we're we're 
taking these words and we're using them and we're using them and we're using them, but we're not even fully understanding what they originally yeah. meant. Yeah, we throw around love and faith and grace and we just kind of assume, oh, I, I know what that means, but oftentimes we, we don't, not in the, the full way that right. the biblical authors mean it. So why don't we maybe do a little like... Um, live practice of this and maybe talk through some words and how this works. So uh, one of the words that I think we often very much misunderstand in our culture today is the the English word soul. Um, In the Hebrew, it's the word nefesh, and in Greek, it's the word psyche. Now, if you were to to take your phone out right now and you were to Google uh, soul definition, what you would see is, is something like this. The immaterial part of a human being regarded as immortal. So I think that's how most of us think of that word, right? It's the immaterial, the non-physical part of who we are that kind of lives on forever. Um, but, but the thing is, is that is actually a platonic understanding of that word. So Plato, philosopher, a couple hundred years before Jesus, this is how he defined this concept. Definitively, this is not a biblical understanding of that word. This is not what they mean when the biblical writers put this onto paper. What they mean with the word nefesh or the word psyche is like the the fullness of your life, like the whole essence of, of who you are. Every moment of every day, every piece and part of who you are, that's what this word means. Um, so oftentimes it was correlated to uh, blood or correlated to breathing, like really essential things for our lives. In fact, if you go study the word nefesh or psyche, what you'll see is when it's translated to English, the vast majority of the time, it's translated to the word life or living being. But then every once in a while, they throw in the word soul, and it kind of confuses us because of our cultural understanding of that word. So um, maybe just a few examples to kind of show how this works. So Genesis 2, verse 7, right at the beginning of the Bible, It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. That's the word nefesh that that sometimes is translated to soul. So clearly the writer is not talking about the immaterial part of who we are. In fact, kind of the opposite, right? There's a physical nature to this. Genesis 9.5, this is an interesting one. It says, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. Uh, a lot of translations say lifeblood. That is the word nefesh. So again, we're, we're trying to build out an understanding of what this means. Here's a really good one. Numbers 6.6. 6. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Dead body in Hebrew is nefesh, which think about it, is almost the exact opposite of how you and I understand the word right. soul right? The immaterial part of who we are, that's immortal, dead body, the exact opposite. So as we read, we have to build up this understanding. What do the biblical writers mean with these words? And this one is especially important because some of the most important biblical scriptures that we have, have this word within it, right? The Shema in Hebrew, like the most important thing to them, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, as Christians, we know Jesus takes this and he says, this is the greatest commandment. All the law, all the prophets, they rely upon this. So definitively, what Jesus is not saying is, I want you to love me with the immaterial part of who you are, 
with the non-physical nature of who you are. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to love me with the whole essence of your being. Every single moment, every single day, every piece and part of who you are, I want you to love me. Now that's, that's extremely important, right? That's a totally different perspective on what that word means and, and what Jesus is asking of us. Yes, so um, yeah, we, we go into reading these things and you know, soul is something that's, I mean, used regularly, right? Mm -hmm. So we can be reading through something, we can read soul and we can just keep blowing right through it, yeah. right? Without even realizing, the okay, yeah. so yeah, like what what is really being meant here yeah. um, by that word soul? Grace is another one yeah. that um, that we, we use regularly, right? And um, we just, Grace rewrote my story. We just sang about that. It's probably my favorite line in that song. Um, but grace is something we talk about a lot. Now, I know grace for me for like the longest is like this man, like this unconditional, this, um, this loving grace that I just received. Thank you for it. I'm going about my business kind of thing. And it's just like this unbelievable thing that he has shown me. And it's just this one-way type of thing, mm -hmm. right? But grace um, in the Greek was actually a word for gift. Mm -hmm. So grace meant a gift. But the difference here is that <laughs> there was kind of this expectation that there is something to come in return. Mm -hmm. So it's not this, here's your gift, peace out on your way. There is a, a response that's kind of expected through this term that we use. Mm -hmm. Now, for me, that's not how my understanding has been of this for, for so long. There is actually an expected response when we talk about grace. Mm -hmm. And that response is that I, I am going to now give you back everything that I've got. Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, you gave me this grace you, the, the son, Jesus, was sacrificed on a cross for my sins. Uh, what a gift. Mm -hmm. Now, in return, I'm giving you my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's this, this response that, yeah. you know, he, he is our Savior, but he is our Lord. Yeah. And I am going to give my life to you, your lordship, and follow you. Yeah. There's that response. And that's why the New Testament writers, especially, they talk a lot about action. They talk a lot about works, mm -hmm. and sometimes that confuses us. Well, we're saved by grace through faith, so whatever. We don't have to worry about works. Well, their expectation and their biblical understanding is, no, when grace is extended, you respond to that through action. So you almost have to think of, like, if you were, if you were drowning in the ocean, mm -hmm. and, like, you were, you were done. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't handle it, mm -hmm. and somebody came and, and saved your life. Mm -hmm. Well, there's an expected response. That's an amazing free gift that they've given you. But now your response is appreciation. And you're probably going to look at life differently from that moment on. It's, it's the same concept. Yeah, and not only is, like, you want to. Yeah. Right? Like, they saved your life. Like, I want to do something yeah. elaborate for you. Like, I yeah. want to show how much I care and love for you. So it's the same type of thing here that we're talking about. Love, we talked about the word love at Life Group this week. And we just, we're like, man, love is this. I mean, it's like the greatest of these is love. You know, yeah. it's, it's this thing we see over and over again. And again, love is one of those things where it's like, and it's similar to that grace thing where it's like, love is this thing where we just like, you know, 
unconditionally, you know, love. And, and it's also this, like, feeling that we have, mm-hmm. right, where we say, man, I just feel so loved. There's, like, this emotion that we, we use that word for. Well, I, our modern understanding of love, to me, is very twisted. It's, it's all about emotion. So I can love somebody one day and not love them the next day. And, and that's a very normal thing for us. We see it on television shows. And we throw that word around like it's nothing. But it's, it's so much more than that. Yeah, there is, again, you mentioned action. This is a word that is meant to have action behind it. Mm-hmm. So when, when love is used in the scripture, it's not just like, I hope you feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. It is like you need to express your love in a way that it, it comes with action, some sort yeah. of action, right? Um, you know, and, and this is how um, Scripture tells us that that we see God through showing our love to others, Yeah. right? That there's an action that comes with it to express well, that. Well, in particular, it, it means loyalty um, and uh, dedication to somebody. So in many ways, it's the opposite of how we think about it, some sort of emotion that comes and goes. No, it's like I'm planting my feet in this. I, I love you no matter what. Love is, is truly unconditional in the biblical sense because it's not just a feeling. It's I'm, I am truly going to love you every moment of every day. And uh, so the point is, is like when we read these words in, in scripture, we read right past those things. Love and grace and soul, yeah, we know what that means. Yet, yet these words should be like fireworks going off in our hearts and in our minds if we actually understand what the writers are, are saying. So I, I think there are a couple of different ways that this can come about throughout scripture, and I kind of want to break this into some different categories just to help us kind of put this into tools to, to work this. Um, so, so one of the things that we can notice is that words can mean different things throughout scripture depending on the context and depending on the writer. So this is one of those things we just have to pay attention to. So just because faith is used here and here doesn't mean it's the exact same definition. So Which again, is is we experience this in everyday life, depending on where you're at. Yeah. You know, it's that word could be used differently in different it's, places. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. If I say the word football here, you know what that means. If I go across the pond and I say football, it means an entirely different thing, right? So communication yeah. is, is complex. So with the word faith, I'll show you how this works. So faith can mean trusting somebody. That's typically how you and I would, would understand that. Peoples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So now it's talking about like a, so these core convictions that makes us a group of people, that defines us as a group of people. But then faith can also mean actions that display trust. So like Matthew 9, Jesus says that, that he saw their faith. How do you see somebody's faith? Well, well, by action, by how they're living and how they're speaking. Um, Paul says, work that comes from faith. So it can mean these different things. And so we have to understand the context in each one of these areas, the writer who is putting it onto these pages so that it actually comes to life and what it really means. So it can mean different things depending on context, depending on the writer. Another funny thing that can happen is uh, we will read words that partly line up with our cultural understanding and partly don't. Um, so like the word heart is an interesting one because you'll read scriptures w- within uh, the, the Old Testament especially that use the word heart and it lines up with exactly how we think of, of our heart, right? Like the kind of central part of our emotions, right? We can be brokenhearted. We can feel good in our hearts. It says things like that. Mm-hmm. But then it, it uses the word heart to mean skill, 
or to mean talent. Mm -hmm. And that makes no sense to us because none of us use that in that context. Mm -hmm. So again, we just, we have to understand how it's being used so that we don't just force our understanding onto that. And then there are words that we've just fundamentally twisted in our modern understanding for a variety of different reasons. I think one of the obvious ones is the word Christ. We talked about that in our Words Matter series. We think of that like as a proper name, but that's a a title meaning Messiah. And it's abundantly important that we know what that means as it applies to Jesus because it shows us who he is. So it's not a name, it's, it's a title that really defines all of who he is and what he means to us. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking when you were talking about heart, I was like, man, you're... So you have so much heart on those drums, you know, like, oh, okay. Another thing with heart uh, that uh, I was thinking of is um, it can be used for like mind because there's not really, there's not really a a word used for the brain in the Bible. Yeah, the Hebrew. So, so they, they used heart sometimes when they're actually talking about our our brain and how we think. Um, So there's just so many different variations. Yeah. So here's the bottom line. This is, this is complex. Communication is complex. And what our job is to do is to build up a good encyclopedia of reception mm-hmm. for our biblical writers so that we can understand what they're saying. So we're not just gonna open the pages and just force all of our assumptions and expectations onto this. In fact, it would almost be better if we go into reading the Bible assuming that we don't know what they mean by certain words. Assuming that we don't know what they mean with a, a particular scripture so that we have to dig in and, and actually do the work behind it. So um, let, let's talk about just some practical application. Yeah. So one of the common questions that's asked is, okay, what translation should I read of the Bible? What's the best translation? So number one, that shows us very clearly what we have here is a language that is different from our own, yeah. right? Ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek. So what we have is a translational faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is no translation is perfect. It's, it's impossible. It's just not gonna happen because of the different language, different culture, different context. So um, let's maybe talk a little bit about the different translations. So we have word-for-word translations. Right. So what they do there is they literally go word-for-word and they translate it directly from the original language to their best understanding of the English word that would match that. Yeah. So word for word for word for word. Reads very clunky. Yeah, so that's the problem, is it, it can read very awkward because it doesn't exactly line up with the full context of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So we have to be aware of that. Uh, we have phrase by phrase mm-hmm. uh, translation. So they're taking more of like scripture by scripture or phrase by phrase, and they're trying to translate it. So they're not as much worried about like every individual word, but more of like the, the kind of higher level context of really, yeah. Yeah, what the writer's trying to say. And then we have summary versions. Um, so like this is, they're taking kind of just the big picture mm-hmm. and trying to put it into our language of, of what that means. So the truth is, um, all of those are helpful. Mm-hmm. All of those are good. They are good things. And actually a practice that I would encourage is when you're reading the Bible, especially if you're, you're studying certain words or certain concepts, to get several different translations, maybe one of each of those, so that you can kind of see how the different translators are, are using that. And you're gonna see certain words that are changing or certain ideas that are shifting. It kind of builds out a more robust understanding. I thought you were gonna say, you have to read just the King James. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's good. I, I have, uh, my parents years ago got me a parallel Bible. Mm-hmm. And so it's got four different versions yeah. right next to each other. And there are absolutely times, uh, probably every sitting, you know, where I'm reading, um, where I read something, I'm like, hold up. Like, what? I don't know that I, 
really got that. And I'll read it again. I'm like, I still don't love that. And I'll go to the next version right next to it, right? Yeah. And I'll read that. I'm like, okay, okay. Then this one, and it starts to form yeah. a piece to where, oh, okay, I understand. I, I understand what they're saying now. Yep. But something as practical and simple as just jumping from version to version really can help plug in some holes. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other helpful tools is interlinear Bibles. Yeah. So that will give you the original language and then an English translation. So you can see the original language, how it's being translated, and kind of build up your vocabulary that way. That's a, a really fun tool. Yeah, that, you know, I feel like I'm relatively new to, you know, leveraging more of that. And um, it's cool because I'm, I'm already piecing together words. You know, yeah. like uh, a Hebrew word is already, I, I know what that, that is, and so now that I'm reading it over here, I already understand and know. I feel like I'm learning Spanish all over again. You know, like I remember those words, um, and so it's already piecing together by just having that interlinear. Well, to go back to last week, yeah. we talked a lot about the design patterns of Scripture and kind of these poetic yeah. parts of it. Having the original language helps with that a lot because you'll see certain words are almost exactly the same or you can tell that they're being used very creatively. And then you can read it in English and you can see, okay, there, there's something deeper going on here beyond kind of surface level. So really helpful tool. Uh, a couple of more that I would encourage you to check out, um, blueletterbible.org is a really helpful tool if you wanna dig into the original language. So we're gonna put up some screenshots. It's not all that helpful because it's pretty small. But this is blueletterbible.org. Um, you can look up, uh, so I just looked up Shema. Um, Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. King James Version, awesome stuff. Um, and then at the top there, there, it says Strong's. And you can press Strong's and it will show you the, the different Hebrew words. You can click on those hyperlinks yeah. and dig in if you go to the next screenshot. So I, I dug into uh, the, the word soul or nefesh, and it'll give you all the scriptures where that Hebrew word is used. And so you can start reading scripture by scripture and kind of building out a deeper context of what that word means. And, and this is where you'll see, oh, okay, they don't have our modern understanding of this word at mm -hmm. all. So that's a, a helpful tool. Yeah, uh, in there you can see, like as you drill in on a word, they'll show you where all it's used, you know, mm -hmm. like a list of scriptures of where all it's used. It gives kind of its definition of that time, its best definition of that um, as you drill into that. So Blue Letter has been very, very helpful for me. And honestly, just go in there and, and have fun with it because there are so many cool tools there. Uh, another one is called Logos Software, Software L-O-G-O-S. Um, and so this is something you'll, you'll have to download, but there are free versions of this that are very helpful, or you can buy higher level versions and dig in deeper. Um, but we'll put a, a screenshot here. So like if you put in a scripture... You can see, <laughs> breathe, guys, breathe. <laughs> so you can see the English right underneath it. You can see uh, the Hebrew and the transliteration. And then those numbers are, again, hyperlinked so you can dig into those words deeper. Um, so if you go to the next screenshot, if you right-click on a word, so I right-clicked on love in the Hebrew. And you go over here and you hit Bible word study, next screenshot, It'll show you all the different ways that this is used, how it's translated. You can click on those links. It'll show you all the scriptures. So it's just a, a really cool tool to, to dig in and have some fun. This is really helpful when it comes to word studies and kind of building out more of a robust understanding of those things. So um, there are links in the sermon notes for each of those. So you can check those out and dig into those. Honestly, it's, it's so much fun and it will definitely help in your journey. Yeah, Bible Hub's another one that's that's been really good. Um, Bible Gateway, you know, you, there's different ways that you can go about this, and you you just start 
learning how to use those different things. There's commentaries out there to try to help you kind of understand um, what they're meaning. So uh, definitely, this is super practical stuff, but we even put the screenshots up there so you guys can see it. Because sometimes we say, like, uh, you know, we love uh, the Blue Letter Bible. Okay, well, like, I'm just going to pull up a website and have no idea what to do from there. So hopefully, um, these practical things will show you how you can drill into some of this stuff, giving you some tools to go out and use. And as you read this, be like, oh, yeah, I can pull up Blue Letter Bible, and I can see, okay, what was the, the Hebrew here, and begin to drill in on it. Yeah. So the series is called How to Read the Bible. So I, I think this is one of the most practical pieces that we've covered so far. Mm -hmm. So context is key. When you go into reading the Bible, make sure you understand you're reading an ancient language translated to a, a modern language. And so there is a lot of work to be done to understand the words that are being used, how they're being used in a particular context, the writers that are using these words. So let's build up that encyclopedia of reception and, and see where it takes us from there.